WBNE. Howdy, Yokes, and welcome back to Bacon and Eggs. I'm Tyler Carlin. And I'm Ethan Etchill. And today we're stealing a baby. Or maybe we're just breaking out of prison. So hold up a convenience store. And hold up a convenience store. Because today we're bringing you Raising Arizona. Welcome to my guest, who is not Tyler Carlin. This is Riley. Well, Riley, introduce yourself, not Tyler Carlin. Hi, folks. Uh, or yokes. Uh, my name is Riley. I am, uh, you don't know me from anything, because I am just uh, just just hiding over here. Um, but no, I am the, uh, the channel editor over at uh, Super Carlin Brothers, and uh, recent friend, hopefully, of uh, oh, yeah. Ethan and Tyler. Uh, no, I've known Tyler for a little while and you can just declare that it's totally fine. We're friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're friends. You don't need my permission. Sweet. Awesome. It's on it's on recording now. Yeah, if, um, if if I have you on the podcast, I probably don't hate your guts. Cool. Well, we'll see after this. Um Yeah, <laughs> so I'm sure you're going to say something about this Nicolas Cage movie that's just going to make me not yes, like you anymore. <laughs> I have hot takes about about the cage. <laughs> um the funny uh, thing is like Tyler, so when I found out Tyler had a podcast, I was like trying to get him uh, to let me on for, for the longest time so I could come and yap about some pretentious art film and make myself feel uh, feel good. Um, so naturally, you know, we wait for Tyler to be on paternity leave and so we talk about a, about a good old Coen Brothers comedy. I was going to say, not a pretentious art film yeah. at all. Yeah. The, the funny thing is, I didn't even think about it until I got home today, but like the fact that we're doing a movie about a couple trying to have a baby and Tyler is out because of... A baby. It's so, so convenient, isn't it? It is. Oh, We're in man. perfect theme today. We absolutely are in perfect harmony. Just two two guys talking about uh, not being able to have a baby. Just, just. We're wonderful. so we're so qualified to talk about this movie. Uh, we've we never are, been we more really qualified are. to talk about anything, have we? It's a good thing Tyler isn't here. Honestly, it's a good uh, thing. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not a good Sorry, thing. We Tyler. miss Tyler very we miss much. You. Uh, he's gonna be back in two weeks, I think. So nice. that's gonna be. A good thing to have him back on the show, and we should be able to to resume our Monday show as well, which would be fun. Um, Perfect. In the yes. meantime, Riley, do you have? Oh, sorry, I had to get got to give scripts uh, uh, stats on this movie. Uh, this movie was directed by Joel Cohen and technically Ethan Cohen as well, but uh, directed by Joel Cohen. Uh, released March thirteenth, nineteen eighty seven, which was twelve thousand four hundred eighty five days ago on a two million dollar budget. Made twenty nine point two million dollars worldwide. Has a ninety one percent critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes, an eighty five percent audience rating, and a sixty nine on Metacritic. Riley, do you have a professional positive review for this movie for me? Yes. Uh, can I ask a uh, noob podcast question? Sure thing. Um, I've got like a long review and a very short snippet from a review. You just want the snippet? Yeah, just give me the the blip. Okay. All right. Whatever you would, whatever they would tweet. You know, like oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. how I feel about. Yeah. So I've got a review here from Richard Corliss of Time Magazine. From their old fascination with Sunbelt pathology to their sidewinding Steadicam and pristine command of screen space, the Coens have added a robust humor, a plot that keeps outwitting expectations, and a dollop of sympathy for their forlorn kidnappers. Love it, love it. I do tend to agree. I, uh, I agree. I've got a negative review here from uh, Variety. Uh, from a variety staff writer, it says, 
While the film is filled with many splendid touches and plenty of jokes, uh, it often does not hold together as a coherent story. I disagree with Interesting. that, honestly. I, yeah, I, think I would it, very much disagree. I think it's a pretty linear plot here, especially for a Coen Brothers movie. It's Yeah, it's pretty cut and dry. I don't think that there's a lot of confusion as to what what's to be had here. No, nor do I. I, I did very much enjoy this movie. It's a movie I have not seen in a long time. It was uh, uh, one that my mom liked very much, uh, for sure. She was a big fan of the both the Coen Brothers and of Nicolas Cage, especially uh, early cage, which this is very oh, early cage. Yes. This is this is quintessential cage right here. Yes, this was 1987 cage, and yeah. he's still he's still out there caging. He's uh, still caging when when he when cage is bringing it like he is in this movie. There is like no more fun actor to watch. If you ask me. Oh, absolutely. Like th there's nothing better than than a good a good Nicolas Cage movie. Yes. Right? And I, I tend to to like Nicolas Cage movies more than your average movie fan. I think he gets a bad rap among uh, the people. Yeah, the interesting thing about him is that I think he's known for being so just crazy all the time that right. he does a lot of movies that are like so kind of bland or he like or that he's bland in them. Yeah, that it's it's just a very weird like, yeah, I don't think people can see the middle ground there where he's actually acting. Um, but he's he's fantastic when no, he's they just want crazy man. He's got Nicholas the right Cage. director. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um and, and this is obviously perfectly in this movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely was. He and Holly Hunter are brilliant. Uh, Riley, on a scale of yeah. zero to one hundred, where would you put this movie? Man, so I, so I again watched this last night because I hadn't seen it in a while, and I was thinking like in my head I had like eighty eight, eighty nine. Um, I'm gonna say though after watching it again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ninety three. 93. Okay. In the 90s for me. Yeah. Okay. Um I was I'm going to go straight at 80, honestly. Okay. I think it's uh you know, it's definitely Fair. not my favorite Coen Brothers movie by any step. Um I'm a, I'm a big fan of theirs, uh, especially some of their me too. Not re I wouldn't say recent work. I don't really think they have recent work. Uh, it's been a minute. Yeah. Uh that I can think of, but I I definitely Strokes. am a big fan of those guys. Um you know, I think this movie is just a fun uh fun good time. It's a yeah, it's funny. Uh, if you have not seen it, it is very funny because I know there are people listening right now that are just like, yeah, I don't know what this movie is. I'm going to listen to the episode, whatever, is which so is funny. Yeah. Wild to me that people do that. Uh, don't don't stop doing that. Bacon and eggs fans. I love you very much that you do that. That's fantastic. But there are definitely people that haven't seen this movie. Uh, go watch it. You know, yes. Riley said it straight up when when Cage is on it, he's fantastic. And. H.I. McDonough is such a great character. And there's so many good like visual jokes in this movie. Like if oh, you yeah. just if you just want to like if you just want to admire the Coen brothers ability to. I mean, that's what that's what makes them so like singularly impressive to me is how they make a movie like Blood Simple and then they make this. Um, and then they turn and around and make is, Fargo. And then they make Fargo and then they make the Big Lebowski. You know, they're like they're so perfect at balancing. Yeah. Do both things so well. They really tie the room together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a movie that shockingly oh, we have not covered on this podcast. Oh man. But I don't think Tyler's I might have ever to seen. come back for that. That's um see, that was where I struggled here because like I would say I often tell people that Fargo is like my favorite movie, period. Um I just I just love that movie so much. I don't well, know. What, what are it we is. doing not covering Fargo? I know, I know. <laughs> That's the real question. I uh, no. yeah. I thought this might um, be more fun, but that movie's a little bit uh I I like to to sort of keep it audience friendly a little bit. I mean, we've definitely covered some yeah. crazy movies on the show, but Fargo is a little bit left to center. Uh if you are a teen that watches yeah. listens to this podcast. Uh, Fargo's a little bit left to center, you know, definitely get your parents permission before going to Nick.com on that one. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> that's, please that do. movie's a, 
that movie's a trip. I showed that to my girlfriend yeah. not all that long ago for the first time, and she was just like, what am I watching here? Yeah. So, yeah, my my experience with uh, Raising Arizona is I, I want to say this was the first Coen Brothers movie I saw. Um, I like it. vividly remember seeing, you know, one of those. I had an aunt who, like, kind of got me into, like, you know, more indie, uh, yeah, sort of, like, left of center movies and stuff. And I remember she had, like, the three, three box set DVD of, like, this, uh, Barton Fink and Miller's sure. Crossing. And I, I was probably like 13. Um, and I remember her just kind of being like, yeah, you're not going to enjoy any of these movies except for maybe this one. And so we ended up watching. Well, yeah, it's uh, not all that often they even do a like PG-13, you know. Yeah sort of accessible movie, um, which I would definitely right. call this one accessible. And and being, if you see a movie called Raising Arizona uh, about Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter raising a baby together made in 1987, like, that's not what you get from this movie, right? Like, this is no. not, this is not Uncle Buck, right? Like, it's not, it's a comedy, but it's not an 80s comedy by any means. It's not no. like, it's not Steve Martin, right? It's not cheaper by the dozen. It's none of those kind of like poop and fart joke movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is very... John Candy very, is not in this at all. John Candy is... Yeah, make sure everyone is clear that John Candy is not in this. John Candy is not in this movie. I, um, I wonder what it was like when this movie came out because it seems like such a weird movie to sell um, because you have like the Coen brothers who just made Blood Simple, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's like a really dark noir yeah. thriller sort of thing i would i would guess your average bacon and eggs listener has not seen that movie by Probably any means not yeah also um, content warning for that yeah but, but it's like you know so they they kind of like come from that movie and they make this and this is like almost like looney tunes like this is oh, just yeah. such a ridiculously like well and you gotta you gotta think that that a young younger Wes Anderson watched the first 10 minutes of this movie and said, that's filmmaking. That's what yeah. movies look like. Cause I was just shy. I was watching before the credits come. Uh, Cause after that, it's just sort of a, a more traditional movie before that. Like mm -hmm. it is so reminiscent of what we would describe as the sort of the Wes Anderson style. I mean, like, yeah. Like, center frame locked off shots like pictures of pictures kind of uh quick cuts people repeating things making the same joke six times like it, it really gave me those vibes it's it's an incredible piece of uh, of just like storytelling there in the beginning to set all this up right? yes that's like one of the first notes i had is like i feel like this is maybe my favorite first 10 minutes of a movie um or favorite like cold open that i can really think of because it just it gives you everything you need to know about hi yeah, it sets up the whole thing just so perfectly. And you get like, you know, you get that voiceover immediately telling you that like, you know, he's kind of this guy's sort of like in over his head or he's definitely he's kinder than the world around him. Yes. You know, he's like he's he's so uh, so naive to the reality of his his world. Right. He's just um, like a sweet guy who just keeps doing these awful, dumb things, robbing yeah. convenience stores, robbing the same convenience store every time he gets out of prison, you know, with a with a. A weapon, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> with and it no keeps bullets. going back to, yeah, with no bullets. It keeps coming no back bullets. to, you know, it's not, it's not armed robbery if the gun's not loaded. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the fact that you know that. Yeah, uh, I know. It's, it's so funny how, yeah, like, I think that's like what, um, what's so accessible about like the Coen brothers is that they have, they have such a good way of making like really, uh, quirky characters who make sure. really poor decisions. Sure. But you, still can can love them right um, which maybe is not true of all their all their characters of course but definitely hi and ed are um absolutely well, ed, are up there they do a good job of uh, constantly throughout their movies of making uh awful people unlikable i mean very likable for no reason right like yeah like that's always the sell with the coen brothers movie is like 
Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of good examples of movies people would have actually seen. Um, oh gosh. Cause uh, I mean, even like, even like John Goodman's character in, in every movie TV, he's in, in every movie. Them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The guy freaking a oh, brother. Where art thou? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, uh that, that, that he's like a lovable clansman, which is bad. Mm. Terrify uh, that they can do that. Or, or yeah. Steve Buscemi in, uh, where you're constantly rooting for him in Fargo, even though he's just this awful guy. Yeah. Right. Like you want him to, to figure it out over William H. Macy, who's just like, you know, not also not a great guy, but in a very different way. But polite. Um, yeah. But polite. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 It's, it's, and that's it's what's Minnesota. that's what's also so great about this movie, because like, you know, uh, Gail and Evel, the the other two prison guys, they're like also lovable. Um, and they're, you know, yeah. they're they're definitely like everything that that happens in this movie is a result of a decision that Nicolas Cage has made um, that affect him like both good and bad. Like, you know, going back to prison multiple times leads him to to being with Ed. And then, you know, also going back to prison multiple times leads him to not be able to adopt a baby. Um, sure. And then you know, leads the the two guys to to come and find him. Um, but, you know, like you get great scenes with them when they when they kidnap the baby where they're just like, you know, just just loving it. Well, yeah. And that's the um, thing is like everybody, everybody loves this kid. Right. Nathan Jr. Arizona, uh, which yeah. the the character of the the character of of, of of Nathan Arizona, Nathan Arizona Sr., uh, the, the unpainted furniture salesman, which is such a Coen Brothers thing to have him yeah. do. Right. To like to run the the unpainted furniture warehouse uh that character takes such a strange arc in this movie that i like would not have expected at all Mm -hmm. because you expect him to be like the worthless kind of deadbeat father right like where he's like oh you go go upstairs and check on the kids and then as soon as the kid is gone he's just like freaking out on the cops like i want my you know my kid back or whatever and then at the end he confronts the people that stole his baby and like offers them like life advice yeah and it's just and a, like in a line of credit at uh, unpainted furniture. A line of credit at unpainted furniture. And he's like, well, you know, you just go back out through the window and, you know, maybe before you get divorced, just sleep on it at night. Yeah. Talks about how much he loves his wife and stuff. I'm like, this is not where I expect this character to go. Right. Like at all. That That's something that I definitely like noticed more this time is how everybody talks about the baby in the beginning as like as as like a commodity. Right. Like everyone's like the first thing that uh, that Nathan Arizona says when, you know, the news cameras show up is, at his house and stuff is like, you know, we're still still business as usual at Unpainted Arizona. Yeah. Um, and then like, you know, when they when High and Ed get the baby, they're like, you know, it comes with instructions. And I think I got the best one. You know, it sounds like they just went and bought a item at a grocery store or something. Right. And then he hands it, hands the baby to her and she's like, I just love him so much. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. well, he, he is a damn fine baby, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I got the best one. I think I got the best one. That's, that's one of my favorite scenes also when just, just that whole like welcome home scene. Oh, there's my cat. There is um, your cat. There is my cat. Hi, buddy. Inter- introduce us to the cat real quick. Hi, this is Inca. Inca. He's uh, Aww, maybe here him. He's, he'll probably be on my lap for the rest of this. Yeah, or all his good. His tail will be in my face, but he's not interrupting anything. No, no. We're, we're glad to have him. Yeah. Um, how old is he? He is eight. Eight. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, a pandemic adoption. Okay. Look at you. He's, a, he's an old, old fellow that I, uh, that I grabbed. That's so sweet. Watch out, bud. Oh, he's touching my keyboard now. Um, I was going to say something. Um. Yeah. That whole, that whole thing was so, was so interesting. Like the, the baby it's kind of talked about just as a, as an item, as opposed to like a right real human, even by, uh, Gail and Evel who are, you know, obviously just in it for the, just taking the baby for the reward. Right. Um, until then, they, you know, but then they have their, their, right. 
turn as well where they're We're gonna like call you, know, you gail jr <laughs> yeah um so and i don't know like, that's that that makes me laugh every time somebody different attaches their name to this child right because like mm-hmm. obviously out of gary barry larry and uh harry and nathan jr he's gonna take nathan jr right because that's the the yeah. obviously the favorite <laughs> right <laughs> And even even Nathan is like, I he, I want Nathan Jr. back or whichever the one hell he wants he is. <laughs> <laughs> There's um I was looking at some like trivia and apparently the like that news article when the child is first taken is like like fully fleshed out and there's it's it's about like how nathan arizona is like you know maybe being courted to run for office and stuff i'm telling you wes anderson learned everything he needed about movies for the first 10 minutes of this also also uh edgar wright like big time oh yeah absolutely Um, i know he says this this is like his favorite movie and he also has said that about a million movies yeah, he's a character for sure. Yeah, um, but those like, you know, a lot of those like uh, crazy wide angle close up shots and stuff like a lot of those reminded me of him. Well, I mean, these uh, guys are the sort of the original of this crop of avant garde filmmakers, right? Like like Joel Ethan Cohen, not not set off a movement or anything, but like there's definitely a set of people that get tied together and they are the original of that set. Right. Yeah. Cause you can't, they're never far away when you talk about Wes Anderson or Edgar Wright or even people like Christopher Nolan or anybody that, anybody that makes kind of interesting off the wall movies. Mm-hmm. It's always like, it comes back to, to those guys and they really, yeah. I mean, they really did something for a long. They continued to really do something. Um, Battle of Buster Scruggs was up for Oscars, which is a movie I just remembered happened. Yeah. Um, I know that that was them. Yeah. It's that it's movie so, doesn't even have a plot. It's just like six vignettes. Yeah, I know. It's I was thinking about that recently. Like I was talking with someone because I think it's so hard to for me, especially to um to like rank my my Coen Brothers movies. And I was thinking about that again with this with this movie. Oh, it is so hard to pick one because they're all so different and all so good. I give you I was top like, five, I think. Yeah, I think I can too. But I was thinking about Buster Scruggs and I was like, I was saying like, that's one of my least favorite because it just doesn't feel as coherent. But then I was like listing off each of the like vignettes and I was like, I love all of them. Like all right. of the vignettes are great. It just doesn't feel, it just didn't feel like as complete to me as some of their other movies. Well, and like um, Hail Caesar doesn't even have a story. Like, yeah, I mean, it sort of does, but I love it's that movie. Very like stream of consciousness from yeah, uh, absolutely Josh Brolin's yeah. Oh, what would man. your what would your top five be? My top five, um, definitely Fargo. Uh, oh brother, where art thou? Um, no Country for Old Men. Uh, Hail Caesar and God probably uh, either Lebowski or Inside Llewellyn Davis. Mm, yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at him right here. I do. I mean, obviously I love all of them. I love Barton Fink. Um, I really liked Buster Scruggs as well. Uh, Burn After Reading, I think is the one that really didn't do it for me. Yeah. That's out of all of them. Despite the fact that my band too. has a song named Burned After Reading, but well, it's a it's cool. It's a cool title. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's yeah. top five in no particular order by any means. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. I would say like, it's funny because listening to yours, I'm like, yeah, like maybe I think maybe two of those are in mine. But yeah. also like I can't argue with any of those because sure. they're all great. Um, but I would probably say Fargo, Lebowski, Raising Arizona, Blood Simple and uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. Would be mine. And then A Serious Man is amazing. Also. Absolutely. I just um, I can I have uh, a brother art that has been one of my favorite forever. Like that. That was probably the first one that I consciously saw, mm-hmm. like knowing that I saw it at the time. My mom was like, you pay attention to these guys. They're they're special. I was like, OK, cool. Um, but I've, I've always loved that movie. 
Um, so that one's, that one's, you're never going to get that one out of my top five. You're never going to get Fargo out of the top five, but that's, it's like a dumb question, right? This is a this yeah. episode of this podcast is obviously an open love letter to, to Joel and Ethan Cohen, Ethan no. Cohen being the only <laughs> Ethan I refuse to defeat in my ever present quest to defeat all Ethan's, uh, He's oh, the only geez. one that's safe. Yeah. I've said on the podcast before that my arch enemy is, uh, is Ethan Hawke and that well, one day I will be more famous than Ethan Hawke. Oh my um, gosh. Despite the fact that he's in some of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. I love Ethan Hawke. You can do it. I, I love him sometimes you. and I hate him sometimes. Like he's definitely mm-hmm. not, uh, I wouldn't, I would never say he's one of my favorite actors for some reason. Like he just annoys me sometimes. Same time. Like I love dead poet society more than life itself. And his character in that mm. movie is so, so good. I'm going to say something that you're is not going to be popular. I have never sure. seen Dead Poet Society. Oh, man, dude, it's such a movie. It's not one of those ones where yeah. I'll be like, oh, you haven't seen. No, but it's it's such a good movie. I mean, is there yeah. anything that's particularly stopping you from seeing it? Like, no, I think it's I think it is one of those movies that's like you haven't seen that. And I just never saw it. I don't know. Sure. It's, yeah, I wasn't sure if there was like a reason like, oh, you know, no. I can't deal with Robert Sean Leonard movies or whatever. No, I have no strong feelings for or against it. I think it, you know, is so iconic. It's one of those movies that's so iconic that like you don't even feel like you need to see it, I guess. Or, sure. Yeah. Um, um, I would highly recommend it. It's a it's a very good time. Uh, yeah, it's it. I mean, it's tough too. like I'm not going to pretend like it's a fun, you know, day in the park. Like, it's, right, right, it's right. very heavy. Um, definitely content warnings on that one. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it absolutely is iconic. That That's my favorite Robin Williams movie by like miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and well. I, yeah, I think we re- ranked it as one of our top movies of one of the years of bacon and eggs, I believe like as the top movie okay. of one of those years, just cause it's un it's, it's undefeatable. Unparalleled. Yeah. 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 Well, especially if you were ever a teenage guy, it's sort of required watching. Which I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you ever, if, first of all, if you ever a teenage guy, you might be entitled to, you might be entitled to give somebody else financial compensation for the crimes you committed, uh, at, as mm. a teenager, uh, because we all did. We're the worst. Men are the worst. We are the worst. We yes. are the worst. Teenage boys are the worst. Yeah. Um, that does and, feel like one of those quintessential yeah. yeah American teen boy movies, but like Ethan Hawke's fantastic in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. And I still just, I need to, I need to beat him. It's an ever-present uh, need in my life. Well, Ethan Hawke, we're, we're coming at you. The problem is I waited. Here's the problem with be, with with my quest to be the top Ethan ever is I waited too long to get famous. Mm. And now now Generation Z has become has, has started to get to the point where they can garner their own fame through the Internet There's and through TikTok Ethan's and coming. even through. There's so many Ethans. Yeah. Because I was born in an era where nobody was named Ethan, right? It was me and one other kid at my high school, right? And now it was like one of the top five boy names in the world for like seven or eight straight years. And those kids are now really? like 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 23, like running right behind me in the game of oh, life man. here. And I'm just, I'm, I'm falling, man. I'm falling. You're going to have to do something quick. You're going to have to get some, uh, some, some guests with some more notoriety here. Right, like two, three years ago, it was like me, Ethan Hawke, the guy from My Name Is Earl, uh, you know, freaking <laughs> Ethan Cohen. Uh, yeah, Ethan Cohen, H three H three, that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's like there's there's dozens, hundreds of. I follow like twenty seven people on TikTok that are blue checks named Ethan, and I'm like, I'm screwed, man. I'm out of this oh, race no. at this point. Do you specifically like sing out Ethan no. on TikTok? No, I don't. They just come oh, across my feed. It's just yeah, talented. That's, that's scary. Talented Ethans that are just there, and I'm I'm doomed. It's oh, over. Man. What's the uh, what's the Riley market looking like these days? I haven't I haven't uh, I stay pretty unplugged from the world. I'm gonna, so I'm going to warn you, it's mostly women. <laughs> I, I figured that that's that's usually been the case. And that's cool. You know, 
They they deserve it. I don't need. I, don't I can't need the think space. of a lot of a lot of them uh, off the top of my head. Honestly, yeah. I don't see a lot on TikTok. I'll tell you that much. I spend too much time on TikTok for a 28 year old man, but whatever. Um, (laughs) It'd be like that sometimes. Hey, I mean, you got to keep up with Ethan's. I got to keep up with what the the Ethan's of the world are doing on TikTok. I got to keep up with pop music that annoys me. You know, it's, Mm. it's my, it's my cross to bear. Yeah. I got to listen to, to astronaut in the ocean a hundred times a day or I don't get my fill of life. (laughs) Um, Which if you're not on TikTok at this point and you listen to the radio ever, I cannot imagine what your life is like because like the radio and now, like if you listen to K92, uh, the radio is just TikTok songs. K92 is our local uh, pop station. The top 40 station for those of you who don't yes. live in Roanoke, Virginia, which is most of you. You don't know K92? Stream it on your on your, on your your browser there. I mean, don't. Stream that TikTok. It's, it's a very average radio station. It's, yeah. If you're going to stream anything, stream like Dick and Dave on Q99 in the mornings. If they're still around, mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't checked in probably seven I, years. I have not kept up with the local radio scene. No, I moved away for, for a long time and, and came back and basically nothing had changed. Mm-hmm. Except uh, uh, Danny had quit, or maybe Zach had quit. I don't know which one from uh, K92, The Morning Thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and there was somebody named Freddie Mac in his place. And I was like, okay, that's the only thing that's changed. Cool. Paradigm shift. I was gone for seven years, and that's the only thing we could still Brett and Boomer on Star <laughs> Country. That's Roanoke for you. That's Roanoke for you. Nothing changes speaking in of, life. Uh, speaking of music, the uh, man, the soundtrack from this movie is, is crazy. Stuck in my head all day. Oh yeah, it's it's just yodeling. It's, it's just, just yodeling. It's constant yodeling. But yeah. like, and that sounds like it would suck. But it's not like Swedish yodeling. It's like it's like old school like country yodeling Hank no, Williams it, type it, stuff it, it, it gets me excited when I hear yeah. it I'm like yes here we go absolutely gets um, me amped that yeah Carter Burwell is like does all the Coen Brothers scores is incredible never misses um never misses and he's like one of those guys I feel like who just cranks it out every time and never oh yeah I don't know if he's ever gotten any awards or anything but um, um let's find out it. what old Carter Burwell's been up to let's go Carter um He's a strange looking fellow, turns out. Uh, there is not a section on his Wikipedia page about awards he's won, so I'm guessing... Well, yeah. <laughs> not too many. <laughs> that might make sense. Um, got a Golden Globe nomination for uh, Best Original Score for Where the Wild Things Are. Um, okay. Nominated for Golden Globe and for Academy Award for Carol in 2015. Hmm. Uh, nominated for... Oh, man, this is a good one. Academy Award and Golden Globe for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, wow. Oh, that's Which cool. was a freaking... God tier score, a score I think about yeah. daily. I did not know that oh, was him. Man. Yeah, that that very much felt like a Coen Brothers movie. It's not. Um, it's it very not, much it's did. Not. It very much. It's the it Francis very much McDormand it's effect. Francis McDormand. Yeah, and it's it's because of the just the weird tone of it. Yes. Um, and just the the yeah western small western town weird characters and yeah. Francis McDormand, Woody Harrelson, yeah, it's, um, it was Martin McDonough who is, Oh yeah. He did that. Um, not a name. I know off the top of my head. He did that movie with, uh, Colin Farrell. Oh, in uh, Bruges, gosh. in Bruges, yeah. In Bruges and seven psychopaths That's, as well. Yes. With Colin, Colin, uh, Colin Farrell's, uh, well, yeah, Colin Farrell, uh, Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Yes, he likes Colin Farrell. Um, yes. Oh God, In Bruges is such a good movie. That is a great movie. Oh, that yeah, does so. have a similar like. There, there are very, there are only few, you know, filmmakers who I think can sure. handle that that really dark comedy well. Yeah. Um, I feel like he is one. I don't think he has that many movies. I think maybe those are his three. But um, you know, Edgar Wright is definitely one for me. Yes. I think he's he can. He can really shock you and make you laugh at the same time. I mean, the the the, the Cornetto films are so good, or whatever they're yeah. called. The the 
yeah. Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like we have not ever covered any of those. Uh, I don't really know why. I think the only Edgar Wright movie. No, we've done Scott Pilgrim, Baby Driver. Baby Driver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Done Scott Pilgrim, and Baby oh, Driver. They're all so ba- good. Baby Driver is one of my all time favorites, um, mm-hmm. which I'm hesitant to say these days because of n- numerous actor related issues in that movie. Yes. Unfortunately, um, yes. But that's one of my all-time faves for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Not known for his score, but a phenomenal soundtrack, nonetheless. Phenomenal soundtrack. Yeah. I think uh, Carter Burwell has done sixteen Coen Brothers movies. My gosh, they have sixteen yes. movies. That yes. See, that's like that is. It looks like he's done wild. every single one of them. Yeah. It's wild that they have sixteen movies. Or, I mean, probably more than that, right? I think the only ones I haven't seen are The Man Who Wasn't There and uh, Intolerable Cruelty, maybe? Let's uh, let's um, find out. Uh, 84, Blood Simple. 87, Raising Arizona. 90, Miller's Crossing. Uh, 91, Barton Fink. 94, The Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, that's not one I'm familiar with, honestly. That is a fun one. It is okay. definitely not Sam Raimi co-wrote the, the script and served as second unit director. Fun fact. Yeah, that that is one thing I was gonna say about this movie is that it feels so. There's so many like Evil Dead, yes, um, Evil Dead shots. That crazy shot that goes through the house and then into goes to the um, to the wife, uh, Florence Arizona's like yeah. mouth, like screaming. Um, that felt so Evil Dead. And um, I think yeah, I think like they all kind of came up together, Coens and Sam Raimi yeah. and. Um, because um, Blood Simple has a lot of those like sure. cool shots too. Yeah. I mean, very, yeah, noir kind of wild. I don't know, man. It's crazy. Some of their movies are just over the top on how good the cinematography is for no reason. Yeah. And that's what I love about directors like that is like they just go all in for no reason on movies that don't don't even need it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Well, they, um, they know exactly like what style to choose for each thing. Sure. Um, I think that's what's so like, like I, I kind of mentioned it a little bit before, but I think like, like, I always think of like the Coen brothers and like, like Tarantino as kind of the people who got me into like filmmaking. Yeah. Um, because they have, they make such like entertaining movies at surface level, but then you can like go a layer deeper and just appreciate the script writing and the, right. you know, the cinematography and all that. But the Coen brothers, I think <clears throat> they've aged better for me than Tarantino, first of all, but also, um, like they, they know exactly how to, how to build their shots around the script, um, and, and determine like the style based on the story. Yeah. Such a specific way. Like, cause yeah, like this movie looks like a, like a comic book, like a cartoon almost. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, uh, yeah. Like no country for old men is just like gorgeous. Yeah. Um, God, the movie's inside so Lou and Davis is gorgeous. I mean, all, all of their movies are, are beautiful in some way. They're just different on the subject of Tarantino. I, Tarantino is an interesting one for me. Cause like a lot of people are going to tell you the Coen brothers did their best work in the nineties. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people will tell you the same thing about Quentin Tarantino, but like Quentin Tarantino has made his best movies in the last 10, 12 years. I think mm. like Inglorious bastards, Django unchained, uh, and, um, once upon a time in Hollywood are like, they're my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies I, like I, far I, away. Yeah, I do not agree, but I mean, that's fair. Um, no. I just think that I, I mean, Pulp Fiction's great, right? Like Reservoir Dogs. I love, mm-hmm. uh, Pulp Fiction. I could probably live without ever seeing again, honestly. Like really? Yeah. It's a great movie. It's just, yeah. I don't even want to say it's because it's overplayed. It's just like, I don't know. I'm just kind of bored of it, honestly. Yeah. I think that, I think that movie is a little, like it's it's become so again, it's another just so iconic movie that inspired so many people that everybody tells you you're supposed to like it, but it's not necessarily for everyone for sure. 
Um, I don't know. He's like Tarantino is aged for me because like he I would say he was like my favorite filmmaker when I first got into movies. Okay. Um, or like, yeah, between him and the Coen brothers. But I don't know, like as I've gotten older, just his his like he just feels so much more like sadistic to me. Yeah, I mean, that's valid. Um, and and also, you know, I think like I kind of know, like going into a Tarantino movie, how it's going to not necessarily how it's going to play gonna, out, but like, yeah. You know, you, you kind of know what the tone's going to be and you kind of feel like you you kind of know where it's going to go. Um, sure. Whereas a Coen Brothers movie, it's like, you know, I don't know if they're making a comedy or a drama or what, you know. Sure whatever in between <clears throat> um i I, but, I don't know i thoroughly loved i, w- I would could li- take or leave the hateful eight honestly yeah um, that's my least favorite for sure i but. thoroughly loved inglorious bastards still to this day i watched that movie like yeah. once twice a year i think that is my favorite of his yeah um and i i adored once upon a time in hollywood unabashedly i have no shame no qualm saying that like that's one of my favorite of his movies yeah. for sure um I, I, lo- I loved the first two thirds of it. Um, That's fair. But I can see that. I mean, I, I, I would never like, again, it's the same thing. Like I would never tell anyone that they're wrong <laughs> about which movies they love. Well, that's the thing like, is Quentin Tarantino gets so interested because he's got like what, nine movies, eight, nine movies mm-hmm. total that he is like properly directed and people get so like, oh, well, you know, I just don't, I don't like his later work. And it's like, he has eight yeah. movies. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So you true. know what? Yeah. It's not like this man's cranking. He's not Stephen King, right? He's not cranking mm-hmm. 30 out a year. Yeah. Um, although it looks like the current TBA from the Coen brothers is a Macbeth adaptation, which I'm very yes. excited about. Which I think is the first movie that Joel is doing without Ethan. Mm. At least that's is what it? I, I Oh, think yeah. It looks so. like it. Yeah. That'll be, be the first, first film directed by one of the Coen brothers without the other's involvement. Did something yeah. happen or? I, I honestly, I feel like maybe I saw that it was just like they needed a new challenge or something, but who knows? Mm. Um, uh, A24 movie. Okay. Huh. Yeah. So interesting. It is funny. Isn't it funny how even like the Coen brothers, like, you know, I read a thing that said that they, this is like still one of their most profitable movies. Um, like for all the like what with we could probably name 15 movies that they've made yeah. that are all fantastic. If not 10 yeah. of them like masterpieces. Um, and they still like, <laughs> they're still getting produced by like, which I mean, a 24 is an amazing studio, but like, you know, for as long of a career as they've had, it's well, like, they, you they know, still can't get much money for their movies. I don't even know if it's that so much. It's just like, I'm sure they love working with yeah. smaller, Small. uh, production companies and distributors just because like, you know, those people respect the vision, right? Like imagine them mm-hmm. trying to make a Disney movie, right? Like, yeah. Although I will, I will, um, I will pay any amount of money in the world that it takes to get a Coen brothers Mandalorian episode. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, <clears throat> anything. Anything you want to do to make that happen. That would be incredible. It doesn't even have to have the main characters in it, right? Because that would be the beauty of it is that, yeah. is that, is that Din Djarin's not in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Mandalorian's kind of a Western. Feels like sure. a Western, you know? Yeah, no, Let's that would be fantastic. Happening. But like, you know, imagine them trying to make a movie for one of those big red tape studios. Like, it just wouldn't yeah. happen, right? Um, You would end I up mean, with the, something. Yeah, I mean, like. You would end you up know, with something that's still grid, very like good. Was, yeah. Yeah, it was a big studio. Yeah. Probably. Well, that's a, you know, that's a, a, a pre-established thing, right? That's a remake. They're definitely like, they brought in a yeah. ringer for that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a Paramount, Paramount yeah. Pictures. Makes um, sense. But you would end up with something much more along the lines of, and this is not a bad thing by any means, but you does with something which much more along the lines of like, there will be blood. Like a movie mm-hmm. like that is I think what you would get out of um, the whole studio executive system being involved head to toe in a Coen Brothers movie. Totally. Is you would end up with just like another sort of, of Oscar Beatty 
dark movie about the American West. Right. Uh, which is fine. There's, there's, you know, I never get tired of those, right? I'd never get mm-hmm. tired of these, these small town kind of like isolation type movies ever. Uh, I will never get yeah. tired of it. No, definitely and, not. And I would love to see them make like another, I, I don't, I guess I would call this like a screwball comedy. Yeah. Um, it's the closest thing they have to it for sure. Sure. Um, I love, I just love this. I love this type of comedy. Again, it's like, it's so, it's just so visual. Like there's that, like one of my, one of the shots that made me laugh the most when I watched it this time was just when, um, when, uh, they're, they first realized that Ed can't have children and Nicolas Cage is just staring in the mirror with a, with shaving cream on his face and a razor. And it's just so, it's just so perfect. Yeah. It's just, it's just such a, I mean, such a good cage face. He does. He has quite the face, man. It, it's, yeah. he is, he is a, a. You know, we talk about eyebrow actors sometimes. He is a whole face yeah. actor. He is fully and, like hair acting in this movie. Like yeah, his hair is es- doing some things. Especially those early days, you know, when he was he was young and like very, very thin and like mm-hmm. just giving it his all, trying to trying to be his own man, trying to not be uh Francis Ford Coppola's ne- nephew or whatever. I almost said niece. Um <laughs> What what would you what would you say is your favorite cage? You favorite, favorite cage? God, I'm gonna have to like even uh, a favorite cage era maybe. See, I'm a I'm a I'm a 2000s cage guy, man. Like a like a okay. proper because like I love the National Treasure movies completely unironically, right? I mm-hmm. love Gone Sixty Six. They are genuinely fun movies. Yes. Um, that whole because that's what I grew up with, right? That's what Nicolas Cage was doing when yeah. I was a kid, and when he was in every movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot to be said for 90s Cage. Uh, Face Off is such a good movie. Um, Oh, Face Off is so fun. Yeah, but like I, you know. Con Air. Con Air, sure. But yeah, I was was a adaptation. Matchstick meant, like adaptation is one of my favorite Cage movies by far. That movie's crazy. I love Chris Cooper in everything. Um, yes. At this it's day, genuinely, I, can, I think like his best, my favorite of his. Yeah. Just great acting. Like, not I mean, that's, crazy that's a cage, properly. You know? yeah. yeah. That's, that's a, a properly proper good lead movie. for Cage. Properly good movie and a proper, like suitably great role for him. Yeah. I can't look at an orchid the same way. I never have been able no, to. After no, that. no, no, no. That's a Spike Jones movie. I mean, you're never going to stray yeah, too far Char- with that one. Charlie Kaufman script. Yeah. Um, and you had even, even things like, like I loved the wicker man. I loved ghost rider unironically mm-hmm. when I saw it. Um, you know, wind talkers, great movies, great movies. Yeah. Gone 60 seconds, I think is, is another one of my, uh, another one of my favorites, but yeah, there's I'm a lot to be said, I you know, city of angels, face off con air, the rock nineties yeah. was a good time too. Um, Really fell off there after that, though. After the fell 90s. off a little bit. Although uh, uh, Mandy was a really cool movie, but uh, so I have heard. I have not seen Mandy. Yeah. Well, you will never cover it on this show. <laughs> I'm <laughs> led to believe as much. But there is a chainsaw battle with Nicolas okay. Cage. Okay. So if that doesn't sell you, then I don't know what will. When he just shows honest. up in places unexpectedly for no reason, doing fantastic. Like I loved him as as uh, Spider Man Noir. Right. Like that was yes. such a cool. Thing oh, that to was do. that was so fun. Yeah. Yeah. When it when when like I when I didn't know Cage was in that movie, that was that just elevated it to a whole level, whole new level there. He is in post-production for a movie, theoretically in post-production for a movie called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Oh, in which he <laughs> plays Nicolas Cage. Oh, that is. And oh, the uh, the synopsis on <laughs> IMDb says a cash strapped Nicolas Cage agrees to make a paid appearance at a billionaire superfan's birthday party, but is really an informant for the CIA since the billionaire fan is a drug kingpin. What? <laughs> oh, this is this sounds amazing. Uh, yeah. So far, the uh, There's Pedro Pascal, <laughs> Pedro Pascal, Tiffany, Tiffany Haddish, Haddish. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> 
Wow. What on earth is happening? Oh, Cage. If this movie gets made, I have I, that would be my new favorite movie. Oh, I forgot he's playing Joe Exotic, too. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's the great thing about Cage, though, is he will do anything, right? He was like, yeah, he was in all of Teen Titans go to the movies as Superman. Like, and that was apparently was something really? people love him for. Yeah. Wow. There's there's so much Cage out there. There's so much, so cage, much that cage that I have out not there. unlocked. It, um, th again, that's like, yeah, he's like because he does so many things that he does so many bland things. Yes. So it's like it's e and it's easy to miss his good stuff, too, because you're just looking for the crazy stuff when you're looking for Cage. I mean, I I, I'm fully on board for a National Treasure 3. I want it to happen. Like, I don't see oh, why it has to happen. I don't I see mean, why it's it gonna hasn't. Happen. Yeah, it is absolutely going to happen. They should have kept making those forever. Like, what? what is the matter with Nicolas Cage and Justin Bartha finding treasure? Like, who? Yeah. Which one of them is against this idea? <laughs> Is Harvey Keitel too Cage. busy? It like, really can't be Cage. He's not saying no to much. Well, because he's constantly broke. Yeah. He just spends he, all his money. He owns like some egregious, like, doesn't he own like an island or something? Or something like that. He owns he the Lori Mansion in uh, New Orleans for a while, which is like yeah. a famous like ghost place. And then and then it was like seized by the government. Um, yes. And he has like a he has like a like a two hundred million dollar mausoleum in New Orleans to be buried in when he dies. Like the man's insane. Yeah. Uh, and he has basically spent every single dollar he's ever made somehow. Somehow. <laughs> so he just does. He just he he continues to be acting. Uh, yeah. It's like the white Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, he will just be in anything. You you got a movie? Call Nicolas Cage. Yeah. What about um, a Raising Arizona two? Raising Utah. I mean, let's go. I, I would so I would so go to see. What that. are they doing? What's Holly yeah, Hunter what doing? Nothing. What are What are Ed and High up to? What was the last? When was the last time Holly Hunter was in a movie? Oh, she was in The Big Sick, which was great. I have not seen um, that actually. Oh, that's a wonderful movie. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Looks like she yeah. does a lot of TV these days. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, the Big Sick appears to have been her last. Oh, no, she was. Uh, she's in The Incredibles, too, obviously. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, as, as far as uh, in-person appearance, uh, yeah, The Big Sick looks to be her last uh, movie that she's done. That was 2017. But yeah, she is Elastigirl, obviously. I forget yeah. that completely. She deserves just all the credit, too, for oh, this yeah. movie. I mean, I think this was specifically written for her. Had to have been. Because um, she is just just amazing. And it's funny too. Cause like, you know, HI is kind of like, they, they both like are acting like, you know, having a family and doing all these things are like what they're supposed to do, but neither of them has any idea how to do it. Not a clue. Um, and because like the movie is through, uh, H.I.'s eyes. She seems like the sensible one, but she's also like a police officer telling her husband to kidnap a baby. And sure. <laughs> because it's from his perspective, it doesn't seem nearly as outrageous as it should. I mean, yeah, well, she she gets away with. <laughs> that's the thing, really, though. Is she gets away with a lot because she's a cop. Yeah. There's, the, you know, I don't know if that's entirely what they were going for here in uh, back in old 87. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the commentary. There yeah. was some more political stuff in this movie. I didn't, I never picked up on there that. There's, yeah, just some some absolute uh, slander for the, uh, the at the time Republicans. Yeah. Uh, which I was just, you know, props to him, but just was not expecting, you know, the criminal just be like, well, it's pretty hard with that Ronald Reagan guy in office. I know, yeah. And the, the there's that scene early on where... Uh, he gets paid at the factory and she's like, government, take a bite, don't she? Yeah. Like, and the guy talking about uh, Nixon's campaign officers going to jail for yeah. trying to yeah. seduce a state or trying to solicit a state trooper for sex. Yeah. And there's a big, you know, there's like a big theme of just like income inequality yeah. sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, where they're like, well, we got to do this because we can't make any money. Yeah. And then there's a line where literally he's like, we, we didn't think it was fair that we should have so few while others have so much. Right. Know? 
Um, which is again, like the babies, babies being commodities thing. Well, like who needs um, five kids at one time, man? Like, I yeah. know you're not trying for that, but like, Jesus. And you know, you know, you know, Nathan just had those babies to, uh, to help his political, political favor. Sure. Yeah. He was, he, he was not, he did not, he does not give one. He does not give one when the, when the, uh, babies are up there getting, getting, uh, getting kidnapped, getting kidnapped. He's sitting yeah. there just cause babies are supposed whiskey. to thump around. That's normal. You yeah. Know, newborn in the crib babies, which those mm-hmm. children were at least like two years old. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's like, there's a funny thump. thing. Yeah. No, no thumping. There's a funny thing with like another thing with like Coen Brothers movies, especially in this movie where you see you. I feel like you see like moments or like scenes you wouldn't normally see in a movie. Sure. Um, Like that. Like there's just that long cut of them like looking at the ceiling when the uh, babies are thumping. And yeah. I don't know. That just feels so them that you would think. Yeah, I would think it'd be joke. a quick cut like. a Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like thing. and then I was also thinking about that, like later on when they uh, when uh, Gail and Evel rob the bank and there's just like a 15 second early, you know, like 30 second uh, delay of like, do you want us to freeze or get on the ground? And it's just it's so funny. <laughs> It's yeah, he's like, a, where do those where do those tellers go? They're like, we're down here. Yeah, <laughs> you told it. Yep, the Gale, yeah. they're just follow your instructions. <laughs> um, it's so good. God, I had a point I was gonna make. Oh, uh, <laughs> what I love is that when when High breaks into the house, the babies are all just sitting there in the crib, you know, lined up under their names, sitting there with the lights on. Yeah, seated. Like, I, obviously, it's a movie, but I'm just like, what is this house? Mm-hmm. They do a great job of making that room just look absolutely enormous, and the hallway looking enormous because you're, you know, supposed to think about the babies there and everything. Right. Um, I think they do a fantastic job with that, but it's just like they're sitting there in their diapers with the lights just on. Just on display. Also, it's, the dad's it's, like, it's again like he's going to a baby store or something. It's yeah. like they're all on display. Well, and I think it's really funny that they add, they they make such a point of asking the and, and making a joke about what the kids were wearing when they were kidnapped. Yeah. And like yeah. the dad doesn't even get it right. He's like, they're wearing their damn Yoda. jammies. And it's like, Yoda they jammies. weren't though. They were in just diapers, man. Like yeah. they were sitting there in their diapers. He's not paying attetion. No, he's absolutely not paying attention. But it's just, it's not like anybody says that at any point. It's not like the wife comes right. up it's like, actually, Nathan, they were wearing their diapers, not their damn jammies. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just got to figure it out on your own, right? You got to put that one together that he's just like useless as far as that goes. Yeah. I don't know, man. This movie's it, hilarious. This is a good it is one. so this funny. Fun and then one. like, it had me, it had me more emotional than I've ever been watching this movie. I don't know. I don't know what it was. The ending is kind of, um, kind of heavy when he makes yeah, that speech at the end. I was not really, really expecting is. that. I think this movie, like, again, it's like, it's, it's always fun to rewatch stuff that you, you know. Sure. watched as a kid or when you're younger and not that I, I hadn't you know I'd seen this movie like fairly recently before this but um, you know just thinking about like about it in the context of like where I am in my life now and, and like you know the expectation of like are you gonna have a family are you gonna do all these things and it's like not really knowing what I what I want to do and um, it just I don't know it just felt way more like H.I. and Ed were in that same of just like this is what we are supposed to do because we're Americans and we have you know we do these things um, I don't know it just it, it got me that that final scene where their grandkids are coming in and oh yeah i I think that's maybe like because because big lebowski again i think was um i have a hard time saying i like this movie more than that which you know not that i have to declare a uh, definitive answer but yeah you didn't update the rankings today on what your favorite i I haven't uh, i haven't refreshed my rankings but i know you keep that that front yard uh, that big billboard that says this is my favorite coen brothers movie yeah but you know that that movie doesn't have the emotional like no. stuff in it as much. No, um, but that one's definitely a, a different one time. for sure. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, he makes it. They, they don't let Cage monologue enough in movies, is what I've decided after this, man. No. Let, let Cage do the monologues. Let him do the voiceovers. Let Cage do the monologue. Let him do his own hair, please. Please. Yes, absolutely. Let him style his own hair. You ever seen Moonstruck? I haven't. Oh, man. That is another. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a big. It was, it was the same year. It's a strong Cage performance, but a strong year for the Cage hair. Yeah. For sure, man. That's he's share. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a fake wooden hand the whole time. Oh my gosh. That he like chops into with a knife at one point. That movie's if, wild. If someone had told me that Nicolas Cage had a wooden hand in that movie, I would have seen it years ago. Yeah, you should watch it. It's, it's, I wouldn't call it a rom-com by any means. It's interesting. It's, it's a, it's a funny one. Um, it's a strange one for sure. Yeah. But yeah. He does that, that whole monologue that like, you know, may, if, if it's not here maybe it's a land not too far away where the parents are strong and wise and capable and, mm-hmm. you know, if it's not Arizona, maybe it's maybe, Utah. Maybe it's Utah. Yeah. And then like, you know, he this is a great line to end a movie on such a great line. And then he had, you know, he has that when he has the standoff with the, uh, with the Mad Max guy. Um, what a wild inclusion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just makes it feel so like this movie already feels like, again, like a comic book or like a story time fable or something. Thing, and that guy is just so so over the top yeah you bring in this like road warrior yeah you know easy rider type bounty hunter yeah just blowing up bunny rabbits on the road um but even but even that like you know he like he, he blows him up at the end and he's like he's like apologizes to him because he's a the, good guy you know how's a good guy at the end of the day yeah He's and a little also, misguided, like, but he's a little misguided. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even like, you know, um, the reason why he gets uh, Gail and Evel to be involved in the whole thing is because he punches uh, Glenn in the face because yeah. he asks if he can sleep with his wife. It's like, he, you know, he does all these things and you're like, he does them for for noble reasons. They're they're not good decisions, but they're all like in the moment. You're like, yeah, hi. But then they come back. And yeah, well, Glenn, Glenn may have deserved it. Honestly, Glenn, Glenn deserved it. Totally. You know, he's a little bit of a. A little bit of an asshole, a little bit of a, uh, maybe a racist. Yes. I guess. Yes, definitely. You know, um, um, he's, he's like maybe more annoying than his kids and his kids are pretty annoying. Yeah. His kids, honestly, I think were, were my least favorite part of this movie. Really? Yeah. Cause that's, we started to lean almost into like, you know, like Chevy Chase National Lampoon's vacation territory mm. with the kids. Right. Like where they're, they're, uh, beating, beating up his car yeah, and writing not nice bat. things on the car, mm-hmm. potentially writing some things you just can't say anymore on the car. Um, yes. and I was just like, if, and they're breaking stuff constantly. And like, we definitely got to the, almost got to the point where I was like, okay, this is not where I thought this movie was going to go. Not really where I wanted this movie to go. Yeah. Yeah. They're terrible. Cause there are plenty um, of movies, especially from this era where it's just like oh man we got kids and they suck mm-hmm. um, and we just let them do whatever they want we just let them do whatever they want we're terrible parents right and, yeah you know but everybody loves nathan jr everybody you know everybody loves they want to be glenn jr and he's a beautiful and boy he's a beautiful glenn and gail glenn and gail being the two men there threw me off uh, yeah the two different guys where I was like, hang on, that's although nobody's names really uh uh track here, particularly. Mm-hmm. You know, Ed Edwina? We're gonna go with Edwina. Edwina. That's a wild one. You pulled that one out. And I get that she has to be named Ed or whatever. And like, you know, nowadays I think you just call her Ed. Um, yeah. And that's just her name. Ed uh, and Herbert. Edwina and Herbert. Yeah, what does the I stand for, man? That's what I want to know. I don't know, yeah. We'll never find um, out, will we? I know that like the uh, like they made this movie in between Hudsucker Proxy because Hudsucker Proxy, I think, like had a bigger budget. So they didn't they they weren't able to pull together the budget for it. Sure. Um, But in that movie, it's uh, Hudsucker Industries is like the company. So I'm sure it was a nod to that. Gotcha. H.I. But um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Herbert Herbert I. McDonough 
would would stand Herbert for. Herbert I McDonough. Yeah, there's not a lot of I names, honestly. Especially using single ones. Isaac Herbert Isaac. Isaac McDonough doesn't really sound like that would be. I don't know. I don't I think names. there's any. Uh, there's no no other good. Uh, Ira no replacement. No, just time. Just time. McDonough. Herbert Idris Elba McDonough. <laughs> Herbert Idris Elba McDonough. <laughs> Uh, it can't just be Idris, you know. No, it's there's the only one Idris, Idris, and we know Elba. who it is. Yeah, yeah. The one make raising only. Arizona two, raising Utah with, and replace Nicholas Cage with Idris Elba. Oh my gosh! Or replace Holly Hunter with Idris Elba, and don't say anything about it. Right? Wild. He plays Ed, and everything is just kosher. Yeah. With uh, the plot of the movie you just described, the Nicholas Cage is making, I feel like this. That's not. Out it's of, not far out off, of, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not completely out of the question. What was that movie? I've already forgot what that movie is called. The the intolerable, oh, intolerable weight of talent yeah. or something. Intolerable. <laughs> uh, hang on, I gotta go back to that. Unbearable weight of massive talent. The unbearable weight of massive talent. Oh, look out for that one. Oh. Look out for that. The IMDb page has not been updated since uh, 2020, December 28th, 2020. So maybe it exists. Maybe it doesn't. There's so many people attached as cast members, though, that like it would be a while. I don't know. Yeah, that feels very much like a uh, like I feel like if if there was something on the chopping block during the pandemic, I feel like that would be the first one. This ridiculous the Nick, first Nick Cage one to be movie, cut. right? Yeah, which is a shame. Uh, the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is an unreleased American action comedy film. Um, pff, yeah, it's got a Wikipedia page. It's got a Wikipedia uh, page. It's got an IMDb. In August 2020, principal photography was set for a fall 2020 start date, officially beginning on October 5th in areas around Croatia. Mm. So previously scheduled so to be released on March 19th, 2021. Sign. It's been delayed and the release date has yet to be announced. So we'll see. It yeah, looks like not, it might be a great film. sign, but not a great sign. Um, directed by a guy who does not have a Wikipedia page, which which is always fun. <laughs> Tom, Tom Gormican. Uh, we we shall see. Tom. I mean, I mean, what? Like, it has to happen at this point. Like, I need yeah, this, this movie is, to exist. Yeah. The fact that there is a there's already like an established like this is this is out there now. Right. Like you, you told us you were going to film it in Croatia. I want to see you filming it in Croatia. Right. Like, yeah. I need this to happen. I get it. Pedro Pascal's a Disney guy now. He's busy. But yeah, um, I want to see Pedro Pascal choosing this over Mandalorian. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> I think the Mandalorian contract is probably pretty airtight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can only imagine they locked him down for a while when they said they were gonna do that. They'll, they'll just fly him in for you know a day or two and get a get his get one face shot. Get a nice yeah, and he can just body do his, double for the rest. Do his voice do his, acting do for his the rest a, of it. Yeah, do his ADR. You know, it's so wild that they don't just let him be in the suit. I mean, I get it, but like, yeah, just let him be in the suit. <laughs> Such a bold choice. Yeah, to have it's, two different guys be, three different people be the Mandalorian, technically. Yeah. Because uh, there's an action body double and a just walking around body double. Oh, is there really? Yes. I didn't realize that. There's like a like a smaller, lither person they use for like some of the action shots, apparently. Hmm. And then there's just like a big, bulky dude who fills out the suit nicely. Yeah. Um, and they get Pedro Pascal in the, you know, in the audio booth with a pillow, uh, holding a pillow like it's Grogu. Man. So... You know, Disney bad, be wild like that. Not a bad gig. Not a bad gig. Um, you get to be like the most beloved character in Star Wars. Right. Since, yeah. Uh, not ever, obviously. But <laughs> One of them for sure. Just the period, you know. Most the, mo the most beloved. He's not even the most beloved character in the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, he's great. He's no Grogu. He's no Grogu. Um, uh, that would be a great sitcom for Pedro Pascal to be on called He's No Grogu. He's no Grogu. 
It's a sitcom about like a like a Bernie Mac show type thing where it's just yeah. about Pedro Pascal, you know, having to work on TV and stuff. That would be fantastic. Having to drive anyway, him around. Riley, tell me about your experience with movies. Tell me about your life. Tell me about who you are. Give me some background on what kinds of things you like and what, uh, you know, I, you talked about Tarantino a little bit. But yeah, just give, yeah. Me a, give me a quick synopsis. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I don't even know where to where to begin there. I uh, How did you get started working with with video? Is what I want to know. Uh, yeah, I've kind of been kind of been making videos in some form since I was like eight. I had a uh, my parents had an old like uh, you know VHS straight to VHS camera, and that was kind of the the thing that got me into it. Made like news shows for myself and my parents, basically. Um, That's very cool. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I I like actually just got all the old VHS tapes like copied over to DVD, and I was yeah. like watching them. I was like, you know, it might be funny to like edit these in a way so I could like interview myself like present me right viewing past me um that would be it, funny it, it, like everything from uh childhood it is not as funny as i would have thought it would be <laughs> to watch to watch myself do that but so yeah I, I um i got into that like very very young and always kind of filmed stuff and whatnot and then um worked in and around the film industry for a while or you know worked in film and news and um all kind of different different outlets before doing the jumping onto the YouTube thing, which is how's that fun. been going? You enjoying it's, the, it's the awesome. Yeah. Daily challenge of working for YouTubers and it's yeah, it's super fun. Churning um, out content. Yes. It's a great, you know, the biggest thing is just like the culture, cultural shift. Um, sure. Which, which isn't true of all YouTube. No. Uh, audiences, but I think this audience particularly is pretty, pretty great. And it's, yeah, I would definitely say like, you know, um, cause like I used to work for a news show and I worked on commercials and stuff. And this is the first time I feel like people are actually watching stuff that I get to help make. So it's pretty awesome. That yeah, your last job was pretty corporate. corporate. It was very corporate. Yes. Yeah. And um, I can't even imagine what that's like. I obviously am, am very much newer to the video side of things than you are. So I'm still yeah learning the ropes there. Well, I still um, feel new to it all the time, but well, it's fun. It's a good time. I, I'll tell you what. I feel new uh, every time Premiere crashes. I feel oh, like, yeah. like a child doing this for the first time. Dude. Yeah, it's I don't I would never let anybody treat me the way Adobe treats me is is honestly like I would not let another human being be this unkind to me at every yeah. venture and not give me any reasoning why just tell me tell me why you're doing this to me. Yeah, give me a, it'll give me a text file full of garbage information that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, Um. yeah. And then you go on an Adobe forum and there's 30 other people who are screaming for answers and no one and, from Adobe and have been since 2009. Yeah. And like, the yeah. problem is the problem is we need we need Premiere Pro and this is getting very niche. For those of you don't know what video editing software, how it works. Yeah. We need Premiere Pro. Uh, we need like a prosumer version of Premiere Pro. Right. Because like I mm -hmm. don't need to edit an IMAX movie. Right. I don't need the capabilities that that Christopher Nolan has. Right. But I also, you know, I need some of the capabilities. I, I need it to work. I need it to work. Right. But I don't yeah. need I like. I will take a, a slightly dumbed down, not to the Premiere Rush level, obviously, but like I will take a prosumer version of Premiere Pro that isn't necessarily Premiere Pro. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, they do have like Premiere Rush or whatever. No, that's garbage. That's, yeah, it's, that's it's, a, it's, human, a heaping it's, trash it's, pile. I don't think it's for anyone. Like it's 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 uh, it's it's terrible. It's, it's worthless. great for TikTokers. Yeah. Because I see videos all the time where it's like how to edit your TikToks. Cool. And it'll be like open Premiere Rush. And I'm like, hmm. Nope. All right. Click away. Yeah. Right. I, it's uh, like, that makes sense. Sometimes I open Premiere to do things I don't even need it for. Right. Like that I could just like accomplish, 
you know, in the iMovie app on my phone and I'll be like, no, I got to turn this over to, you know, and we'll spend an hour yeah. doing this for no reason. No, I have to have a headache doing this. Yeah, it has to, um, this has to ruin my day. Yeah. Although I will uh, say it's like I, I learned on Final Cut, like my first first editor I used was Final I've Cut. I've never used Final Cut. Fun fact. Uh, it is. It, it used to be great. Like Final Cut 7 was yeah. the one I learned on and it was just super intuitive and, and great and seemed to work. Um, but Final Cut 10 is I just I just open it and I, I just get annoyed. I just don't I just and I'm sure it works for people well, but I don't know. Adobe like has has pulled me into their their web and now it's hard to get out of it. Sure. I would pay $150 for a uh, Blackmagic color grading plugin, like a DaVinci Resolve plugin mm -hmm. for Adobe Premiere. I'll yeah. say that much. Um, because I tried using uh, uh, Resolve as an actual like nonlinear editor one time, and that was the worst experience of my entire life. Um, it's not great, yeah. I've, I've really tried to like, you know, because um, this is the first full time like edit, just editing job I've sure. had. And so um, I've tried to like with some of my some of the stuff I do outside of of that job. I've just been like, I'm just going to cut this in DaVinci just to like just to free myself of Adobe outside of, you know, the normal hours. Yeah, and yeah. it is just it just takes so much time. And I, I know it's probably partially because I don't know the program as well, but no, it's, it's, everybody has these problems. It's a garbage editor. It's great for color yeah. grading, but as, as an editor, it's garbage. So I do, I color grade my music videos in resolve. Um, okay. Which usually means I need to like export them and then timeline re and then recut the video basically. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it doesn't, it doesn't love doing the, the proper export out premiere. So I usually just bounce it to ProRes and, uh, color grade it that way. Uh, which right. means that I, I do have to basically recut it and it's only, you know, every like a two and a half minute thing. So it's not the end of the world, but I'm just like, Still I just spent, just spent four hours doing all these cuts and now I got to do them again. Yeah. No, thank uh, you. No, thank you. So I would just love it if it just worked like that or I could just get a plug in. OK, we're back to talking about movies, I guess. I don't, that was a tangent. <laughs> I just needed to express these feelings with somebody else. And we're back. And we're back. I can um, relate all the time to computer related video editing problems. Oh, dude. It's like anytime I post in the Slack, I'll be like, oh, I have an issue. And everybody's just like, totally feel that. Been yeah. there, done that. <laughs> Bought the T-shirt, wrote the book. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's my nightmare. If if only there was another option, I probably still wouldn't use it. I know. That, it's, that being it's, said, uh, a, a Lightroom owns my whole soul. I could never use anything mm, else. It's one of the best programs ever. Yeah, um, Lightroom is nice. Capture One can yeah can go take a hike. I'm not there for that. Adobe Lightroom is where it's at. But <sighs> Premiere, you got some issues, baby. You got, you got some, some issues, issues to work and the, out. The thing about Adobe is that you know, like from what I understand, this is uh, I heard this from uh, from Scott is that they have like a tenth of the staff working on Premiere that they do like Photoshop. Sure. Um, which makes total sense. I mean, Photoshop is an amazing program yeah. and groundbreaking. So, but yeah, I yeah, mean, it's Adobe, what really got them on the map. You're letting us hang, letting us hang. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, uh, are a Coen brothers fan as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been, I was, I was indoctrinated in that from a young age. Yeah. I think um, if you, I think if you know who the Coen brothers are, you probably enjoy their movies. I don't. Yeah. Or you have been hurt by them for some reason. And are or you've just been like, hurt by them. these, yeah, these guys. Yeah. Um, and then there's sometimes where, you know, I'll just be, well, I think I've seen most of it at this point, but there would be times where I was like, I'd be watching a movie that would just come on and be like, this feels familiar. Mm -hmm. It turned out to be one of these, these fellows movies. Um, cause yes. they're not, they don't take place in the city. You know, there's no like view universe for this or anything. You know, it's not like there's a, a Coen brothers cinematic universe. They're not tied together in any way, but no, they do but have a, a feel to them very much. So yeah, they've got that very specific, especially their sense of humor is just so specific. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And I feel like has shaped my sense of humor in a uh, in a frightening way. 
I, I, I get like, I will get stuck on the Fargo voice with people, like with some of my closest friends. If we start talking in the Fargo voice, we can't get out of it. Yeah. You okay down there? No, I yeah. just think I'm going to oh, barf. Oh, jeez, Margie. Oh, jeez, Margie. Oh, jeez. Make you some eggs. <laughs> Sorry to anyone from Minnesota. Oh. They, uh, you, I feel like if you live in Minnesota, you have to watch Fargo, or right? North Dakota, like it's, I guess. it's, yeah, it's well, the the movie takes place in Minnesota for the most part. Right, 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 right. Um, you have to watch it, right? Like you have to be familiar mm-hmm. with it because that's you know that's one of the things people are thinking about when they think about your area, your state. Yeah, and then it's, now there's a four what four season show <coughs> that people love based yeah. on it. Yeah, that is that is great. I've seen zero seconds way. of it. I keep meaning it, to watch it. Yeah, it is. Um, I was I was very skeptical. I think fairly as most people were. Sure. And um it it does like really nail the it nails the Cohen brothers tone in a in a pretty surprising way. But um yeah, it's it's funny with the whole uh this is based on true events thing cuz they they have that in all the in every season of the show as well. Right. Like the beginning of every episode the card that says this is based on true events, which it is not at all. Yeah, not at true not. events. <laughs> Not in the slightest. Although I'm sure most of those things that have happened in the movie have happened. Oh yeah, yeah. Just not, but you know, put just together. Not in the not in that way that makes you laugh in a very not funny way. Although I think that um I think that more directors should insist that their movies all take place in the same universe and then make really? like Avengers Endgame type movies where all of their characters exist at one time. Are you are you are you being real right now? No, I think that'd be fantastic. You're trying to, you're trying I think that'd be for? fantastic. Okay. Tell me like like you know, Steve Sizu's Endgame wouldn't be a fantastic movie where it's just twenty five different Bill Murray's talking to each other the whole time. That's fair. That's fair. You know? Tell yeah. me tell me that it wouldn't be fantastic, right? Like cause it, People love to talk about the Nolan verse. Like, I would love it if mm. if the next Christopher Nolan movie just has Batman, like Batman and DiCaprio, just <laughs> right, 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 Batman right. Like, and DiCaprio, even if it's just like even if it's just like on TV that like Batman happens, you know, yeah. in the world that they're in, right? You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the the Coens kind of have that. I mean, they've got like some of them are like, definitely got, they like, take place sucker. in the past. Oh, oh, that's another thing is that uh, Nicolas Cage in this movie does work for Hudsucker Industries. Does he? Which is that is with the, the factory? Yeah, which is the company in the Hudsucker proxy, obviously. Huh. I got to um, watch this movie, it sounds like. You know, it is uh, It is not one of their best, for sure. It, it is fun, though. It's a fun time. Well, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen one of their movies and been like, hmm, hated yeah. that. Don't want to watch wish that I, Wish ever I hadn't again. had that experience. Wish I hadn't had that experience. Yeah. Although a lot of people I've shown Hail Caesar to have been like, why did you make me watch that movie? That was weird. Mm. Stop doing that. Hail I'm Caesar like, yeah. has grown on me a lot, I will say. Oh, I was I was sold from the first second. Yeah. That's I, exactly... I enjoyed it. I, I definitely enjoyed it the first time. I just... Well, because I grew up watching all the kinds of movies that that was like yeah, parodying uh, like a lot when I was a kid. That's the yeah, Western, the, the original, stuff. original westerns, the original like ah, it's a Hollywood motion picture. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Like my dad loved that stuff, so mm-hmm. I very much was. I, I just got it, I guess. Like I, I fully was bought into it uh, from right. the beginning. Yeah, that, I mean, you can you can feel that in all there. Like that that is ultimately also what I love about them and about like someone like Tarantino is that you can just really feel that they love movies. Like even if you don't sure. particularly like their movies or their approach, um, you could just tell like they just love. There's so many things that they pull yeah. from and so many things they love. And uh, well, and a lot of people like hate that about these guys, right? Like that's why people, a lot of people will will come after What's About Time in Hollywood specifically to be like, yeah, we get it, Quentin. You like old movies, dude. Nobody cares anymore. Mm-hmm. Like let it go, kind of thing. And like I, I'm not saying it's a requirement to be a director by any means. Like that's a, a different conversation entirely. Like you don't have to pay homage to anybody to be a director. Of them. Like you're yeah. a you're a movie director. You get to make whatever movie you want, right? But like it it is cool sometimes when people do it, right? When they when they 
take what has gone before them and like directly represent it in their movies. Oh, totally. It's, yeah. it's always cool. Um, and it, and it, it widens people's perspectives as well. Like, I mean, like Tarantino's was influenced by a lot of like, you know, Japanese noir yeah. and Kung Fu stuff. Like, I mean, Kill Bill is the obvious. Yeah. Um, like, like I, I had never heard of, um, like I, I love like Kurosawa and like, you know, samurai movies and stuff. Sure. I would I would say I probably would not have really gotten into those if it hadn't been for for him. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, I saw I saw Kill Bill and I saw Lady Snowblood and like just I mean, it, it, it is like, again, yeah, you don't have to pay homage to, to that stuff or have like really direct references to it. But, you know, yeah, they, they do it the right way. I, I mean, Akira Kurosawa is another one of the just the all time greats, the greats, you know, and I'm I'm a big like a big Hitchcock guy. I love those type yes. of movies, you know, always. And so when I watch like. You know, when I, when I say things like, oh, well, Jordan Peele might be the new Alfred Hitchcock, like I'm not saying it to be a dick, right? Like I'm not saying yeah. that Jordan Peele's work is derivative. I'm saying like, this is one of my favorite directors and nothing has made me feel that way in basically yeah. has been made my entire lifetime, you know? Exactly. It's like, yeah, it's like the, the, um, it's like the paradigm shift effect that a director has can only be like, like, you know, Hitchcock is like the reason why we have movie times, right? Like right. Psycho is the reason why they started having set movie times because he didn't want anyone to see the end and have it spoiled. Sure. Um, so like he was so like, you know, so essential in the both the business and in the way that people made movies. Um, and I, I feel that same way about Jordan Peele, too, is that he's both representing those things and, you know, making completely his own story and his own right. voice out of it. Well, Jordan Peele's one of the first directors that's come along in a long time that's really broken any boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. To some extent. Um yeah, where, you know, a lot of the a lot of the movies that have ever been made or, or will ever be made have sort of been done to some extent. And there's, right. you know, everything is going to be derivative to a certain extent. But then you get people to come along and, and, and ideas that come along every now and then and, and very much challenge the status quo. I mean, it's the same thing sort of that Marvel did where, like, you know, they made 20 two movies or whatever, 23 movies in 12 years, 10 years or whatever it was that were all part of the exact same thing. Right. And then they put them all sure. together in one big movie. It's like. That was unheard of, right? The only thing mm -hmm. that came close was James Bond, and that was over 40 years. So, like, it it definitely is not that there are no rules left to be broken. It's just that, like, things seem so safe now that when a movie like Get Out comes along, it really challenges, you know, it challenges cinema in general. It challenges horror to do yeah. better. It challenges a lot of things to to kind of pick it up, you know? And I don't, yeah, I don't it, ever think it that's it a bad the thing. the door for so much more. Sure. Um, and it's... Yeah, it's it's just... Well, it's accessible to... And the more and more, more movies... More and more movies would get made you know, in, in theoretically in Western cinema by like foreigners, by, by people like Pong Joon-ho and, mm -hmm. uh, and more movies that get made by people of color and women, the, the more that like these stories are going to come out because like, there's only so much white man perspective you can want or need. And we've had a lot of it over the past yes. hundred years of cinema that like when a movie like Parasite comes along, it's, it, it shocks people to the point where like, oh yeah, now we all want Korean movies and that's, that's fantastic. You know? Yeah. I don't think we need to remake those movies with American actors no, in let's English. let's not do that. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's just go ahead and cancel that train to Busan remake. Um, yes. Oh, I and, didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. They're, they're doing an American train to Busan remake, oh. uh, for some godforsaken reason, it's even though, even though we've had, for two years now, we've had movies that spoke almost entirely in spoken Korean uh, be up for, for one that won, yeah. but be up for Best Picture at the Oscars, right? Like, that was not an invitation to take these movies and westernize them, right? Nobody right, right, asked right, right. for that. Yeah. Just watch a movie with freaking sub... You, oh, my God. It'll just become completely, like, sterilized, too, um, because there is There is a movie called... Uh, hang on. It's a Jennifer... Not Jennifer. Uh, 
who am I? Julia Roberts movie, I think, called The Secret in Their Eyes. Uh, hang on. I gotta Google this real quick. I've not heard of this. Yeah, Secret in Their Eyes. Um, yeah, Julia Roberts, Nicole Kidman, and Chiwetel Telegia Four uh, are in it, and, and and Alfred Molina, and it is a remake of an Argentinian movie. It's like a spy thriller kind of like, you know, I would have thought it was one of those uh, uh, Tony Scott movies, the like man on fire, like inside man type movies, mm-hmm. um, that kind of vibe. But it is a it is a remake, a very bad remake of one of my favorite foreign oh. language movies of all time, which is, you know, it, it translates the same thing as The Secret in Their Eyes. And it's an Argentine movie. Uh, and they we brought it to America and just freaking ruined it. Yeah. Completely. Well, even, yeah, I mean, like the example that comes to mind for me is like old boy oh my. um which is just an amazing action movie so so good yes um, the original um, yeah, and, then, and then spike lee who's like you know i mean incredible filmmaker um but the the remake was just not good yeah spike lee should have known better yeah i know yeah he I, I really mean, just, again it just doesn't need to be done we've you know that that uh that type of thing and the like especially like you know with a movie like parasite like all the cultural like touchstones that um kind of refract throughout different um different cultures are like part of what makes it so good and so right um because because parasite even has like almost like a westerny like you can tell that bong jun pong juno had been influenced by you know people like right stuff but it's like again it's completely his own voice and his own vision and a, and a totally different cultural touchstone for it it doesn't need to be translated and sanitized and westernized and it doesn't need yeah white people and it. it doesn't have to take place in los angeles right like it doesn't need to trans people are are smart when you let them be but yes. the people in power so often do not let us be like and that's like a lot of what i come down to especially with uh with things like music and movies is that people are like you know oh, you're just being elitist or whatever like you're telling people not to see these movies like no i'm not telling you not to see the movie that gets made right Mm -hmm. i'm saying that we should demand more of filmmakers yes we should demand fewer remakes more original stories more foreign stories more stories made by people of color more stories made by women like yes i'm not saying don't see a movie that your favorite white male director made right like no but you've probably seen it before yes probably seen that movie before yes like Um, (sighs) saying we demand demand better of the people in power yeah um well, not it's, necessarily yeah, it's like demand more of the audience. And, um, yeah, it's it's the whole industry. I, I think it is undergoing a change. Sure. Um, slowly, but, you know, like movies like, you know, like Moonlight and Get Out and um, Parasite, you know, are have really kicked that open to where it's it's because, I mean, you know, the unfortunate thing is that things have to be financially viable before they get mass produced, of course. Well, and, and, and the thing is, is like and this is what I did not foresee. OK, and this is what I've really been interested in watching is like when it when it started going down that Disney was going to buy Fox, dude. Mm-hmm. I got so scared because like for the for the future of of Fox Search, Searchlight type movies and also for the future of Fox 2000 type movies like the mid budget movie, right? Yeah. I was very scared for this kind of thing. And that it was just going to go away entirely or it was going to become Disney fight or whatever. And it, it struck so coincidentally with the the pandemic and the rise mm-hmm. of people streaming and streaming and streaming so much that like Netflix and Hulu and Prime and even Disney Plus and all these other services have, have stepped in and just said, well, we'll make the mid budget like we got this right. Yeah. Like We're going to figure this out. And so like half the freaking best actor uh, or best best picture contenders this year were, were Netflix original movies. Streaming. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I could not, you could not have paid me to see that one coming. Yeah. That like, I mean, I'm going to watch a fantastic original movie and be like, oh, that was Netflix. Because I remember when Unicorn Store came out with uh, Brie Larson and oh, it was right. like, oh man, Netflix made like an art film for the first time yeah. basically ever. And then they're like, ah, oh, the trial of Chicago 7. 
That's a Netflix. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's a Netflix movie. Let's yeah, go. Man, They're like, yeah. we're just going to do it. We're just going to do the thing. I didn't even think about how many, yeah, great movies have been made that haven't been, you know, awards. Well, I guess, I guess Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was an awards contender, but yeah, you know, it wasn't as at the forefront as some of the other streaming no. stuff. But um, yeah, it, it is pretty wild. And like, um, I hope that it leads to eventually like I hope that there's a financially viable way to for streaming services to help um, have people still go to the movies to see them. Yeah, um, because I think that is obviously an ex a super valuable part of the experience. Yeah. Um, like well, I mean, I, saw, I think it's just going it, to it's going to well, and especially if you keep having partnerships like you did with uh, Warner Brothers and with HBO, HBO Max. Yeah. Is it like Warner Brothers is committed to to putting these movies on HBO Max and to, to bring everything there? But that's still Warner Brothers, right? Like they, when the theaters mm -hmm. open back up, they can just be like, cool, we've got all these movies and we're going to put them in the theaters. And like, I don't see why Netflix couldn't because it, like, it's not going to hurt Netflix to license their movies to AMC. Right. Right. Um, especially since we're going to come back with shorter windows for things to be in theaters. That's basically confirmed is that like when things come back, we're working with a four week theater window essentially before it goes to, Gosh, to being crazy. Uh, on demand and to go into streaming. Yeah. Just like for, at least for a while, at least for the, for the next year, theoretically, um, it's definitely changing the landscape entirely, but I think that that is really what is going to end up saving the mid budget movie, right? We're having these where all of a sudden there are more and more, it happened overnight, basically. I wasn't even watching when it happened that, that we've got more and more like original stories all of a sudden being made by these streaming services and they're and they're good, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that was what was crazy is that I just didn't even see it happen because I, I was too busy on this show yelling about the death <laughs> of the, the mid-budget movie that I, I missed the fact that they were still making them. Yeah, that they had found a completely new platform. That they had found a completely new platform, a completely new home. So like I think that, uh, you know, if A24 wants to work with, the Coen, with one of the Coen brothers, um, they're going to do fine. A24 is obviously proven that they can just basically do no wrong. Um, yeah. to some extent it's crazy too, to just see like, yeah, they I got mean, it's plenty of money. Although we'll see what happens with Scott Rudin. Uh, I know he's involved mm. with a lot of their projects and he is, uh, Harvey Weinstein type canceled. Yeah. Now. Uh, and he yeah. was a big money guy behind all that. So that's not, isn't not, that way. Doesn't that suck though? That like, like those are the people who hold that, you know? Yeah. When, when like an EGOT level producer goes down like that for all this stuff. Yeah. And I mean, like, I mean, you know, not that they go down like like they, they well, rightly should. Yeah. But, you yeah, know, absolutely. I'm not complaining that it goes they, down, but it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like this man won 17 Tonys. The fact that they wield that much power, wield that much power. Like this man won 17 Tonys. He's produced yeah. like 97 movies, mm -hmm. most of which you've seen at some point, you listener. Right. So it's like those people are the people that are making these movies. And that's, you know, obviously we got to get them out. But it's like those are the money guys. It's definitely going to change the landscape. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, I mean, it changes it for the positive, not just in terms of people having money to make movies but in terms of movies being an overall safer place for the people to make them that's obviously the number one priority is yes. that everybody who is involved in movies has a good time has fun and is safe and protected and loves their job that is yes. that is room rule numero uno is that nobody assaults them ever um and if some of the movies have to go because of that then that's that's fine because the money guys are in jail that's okay i'm cool yes with that. we don't 100%. need we don't need to see those movies no, yeah, I'd if, rather not see those movies. But yeah. It was, yeah, hearing about that the other day, I was like, dang, I no idea that's about a big that, one. Yeah, yeah do, Google that one real quick. It'll, it'll, yeah. it's not great. It's not great. Because uh, it came from the, it actually came from the Broadway side of things, apparently. Mm. That like enough of the actors in his Broadway shows were just like, this guy sucks. Please stop making us work with him. Please stop giving him money. Please stop letting him make movies and stuff. And they, they so they looked into it. And yeah, he's <sighs> pile yeah. of trash, essentially. Um, may end Man. up in jail. We'll find out. I know he's just like a monster producer of everything. I mean, yeah, you know, he's one of like, like I said, like 10 to 15 or 17 EGOT winners. It's won yeah. all four. I mean, Grammy Oscar, Tony.
Yeah, I mean, I googled his name in the first, like, one of the first photos is him with the Coen brothers. It's like, yeah, yeah. Well, because he's he was he's supposed to be producing that Macbeth movie with Ethan Coen or Joel Coen, right? Um, for a twenty four. Although I don't think that I don't think a twenty four is gonna be hurt by him. They're by no, without him. No, a twenty four is. They're they're not going crushing anywhere. It. Honestly, yeah. crushing it. Um, yeah. Equal measures, great movies and absolute uh, flops. But just nobody pays attention to the flops. I, I yeah, I don't think I've seen one of their flops. They have movies. They, they have. They do. They've done so many movies in the last like six or seven years that like you've yeah. seen. You just haven't seen them. Right. Like they just don't go anywhere. Right. 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 But then you watch, you know, The Lighthouse or um, Midsummer or Lady Bird or any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people hated mid 90s. I'll tell you that much. I have not. Yeah, actually I, did, seen I didn't love mid 90s. Yeah. I would say it's one of the weaker ones I've seen. It had um, so much potential. Yeah, I know. I was very excited about it when I saw the previews, but um, The Farewell also was an incredible. I have not seen that incredible one. movie. Oh, it's it's so beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful movie. Um, well, I think we're about at wrap time. You got any final thoughts right. about this movie, about the Coen brothers, about really anything else? Oh, man, I, I don't know. I just I just love this movie. It makes me makes me happy every time I see it. Um, just just a rocking good time. Really? It is. a It is a very good one. Say. Oh, no, you're all good. <laughs> I'm glad you you made me watch it here in uh in this day on yeah. uh in on in May of 2021 it was a great time. It's a great just fun way to pass an hour and a half. Very yes, short bite-sized movie. Um, we can do uh, Fargo sometime. That'd be Yes, that'd be absolutely. Fun. I will definitely yes. cuz I got to I don't think Tyler's ever seen that one, so that'll be a, oh, a fun I'd one like for to him. hear Tyler's thoughts on it. Yeah, that'd be a fun one for him. Yeah. I know he's he's a he's a big Brother Wire there fan. He's a big Hail Caesar fan, but I don't think he's much of like a pay attention to the guys who make that kind of thing. I might yeah. be wrong off the top of my head, but that that strikes me as um, being true. Riley, if we yeah. want to if we want to hear interesting, fun things from you, where can we find you? Um, gosh, nowhere. Fair. <laughs> no, um, wrong with that. no, no, just, uh, you know, check out the YouTube channel, Super Carlin Brothers. Um, who are they? <laughs> The just these guys, uh, they make uh, you know, uh, Disney, Marvel, Pixar, yeah, Harry Potter content, you know, never heard of them. Yeah, they probably got a cool brother though. Yeah, they got a cool brother. Um, no, seriously though, I uh, yeah, I just have a good time making that stuff, and yeah, fair enough. I don't, I don't have any, uh, any, uh, I don't have a Twitter, I don't have any of that, so no worries, no worries, man. It's great having you. I love to bring on people that uh, have some, some different kind of opinions from our usual type of movies i used this yeah. tyler break to like get into some different stuff we did uh did tombstone last week that was a great time yeah i listened to part um, of that it's cool that's a great movie i know i i i, I am a, fi- a fan of your podcast because of that because i think it's it's often mixed with many different opinions oh dude that was the first thing i said when we did this show is that i didn't want to just be like another uh, we cover every new movie that comes out kind of and just talk podcast. about how much you love it and that's it right exactly yeah um and we do try to talk about movies that we genuinely like like a little bit it's no fun right, to hear right, anybody right. talk crap about your favorite movie for two hours right like that yeah. sucks there's plenty of podcasts out there like that so like it's all kinds of stuff that people are like hey can you cover this and i'm like i really didn't like that movie and i'd rather just not yeah um like we've been historically against doing the greatest showman because i hated that movie mm. Um, I did not see it. I just don't have anything positive to say about it, right? Like, yeah. I, it's not f- going to be fun for me or anybody else wa- listening. So, no. anyway, this has been another cool. episode of Bacon and Eggs. Our graphics are by Vision Brandon, graphite.vmb on Instagram, or music by Andrew Scott Bell, Andrew Scott Bell, music.com. I cannot stress if you need music for your podcast, if you need graphics for your podcast, hit those people up, get them to do it for you. Great 
work experience, great turnaround times, great everything. Fantastic people. Um, love them both. Uh, dear friends of mine from college. And um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, Bacon Eggs is a proud production of the WBNE Podcast Network. For more information and more fun podcasts like this, go to WBNE.org right now. Um, I was just on an episode of Sincerely Us a musical theater podcast for the casual musical theater fan yesterday. And I talked about uh, catch me if you can the musical uh, with Mary Clay from um, th- that's what I'm talking about. Uh, and Riley, I saw you uh, look up there. Yes. They made a musical out of catch me if you can the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. <laughs> um, cool. And it was, it was a fantastic movie or musical that ran for like three months on Broadway that basically oh, nobody cool. saw except my co-host. So uh, we talked about that one. It's fun. It's out anywhere you get podcasts. And um, that's really all I can say. Riley, thank you so much for joining me here on Bacon and Eggs. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely a Been pleasure. A um, on behalf of Tyler Carlin and everybody here at WB&E, uh, I've been Ethan Anshil. He's been Riley Murtaugh. Until next time, Arrivederci. Arrivederci. Thanks, Tyler. <laughs>